Hello and welcome. You are listening to The Investor Lab. My name is Goose. And I'm Charlie. And on today's episode, we are starting a fantastic and exciting and revolutionary new series, a micro series that's going to sit within The Investor Lab and it's called Property and business. Now, most of you guys will know who I am because you've been listening to me for a little while and you know, I think you've been enjoying the stuff so far. But I wanted to take a moment to introduce my co-host for this series, Charlie Vela. Charlie runs Vela Media and he is uh, he's well known amongst business circles. He's been in business for a long time and he's also a good friend, colleague, client, all of that kind of stuff as well. So we decided we wanted to pursue a narrative designed to solve the problems in the minds of business owners, particularly around real estate investing. Is that right, Charlie? Anything to say to that? I just want to concur that I think we really want to like look behind the curtain for business owners, really making it specifically like my own journey here is property is a little bit different for business owners. Your borrowing is different. Your attitudes are different. The way you think about things is different. And I guess I'm hoping, or actually I kind of know because I've already made some stuff, yeah. that we can kind of help business owners understand how this can be a huge win and work for them. Absolutely. Now, if you're not a business owner, you might be thinking, hang on, do I switch off now? Is this not going to be for me? I can guarantee you, my promise to you, in fact, I will give you a 100% money back guarantee that the content that we cover in this episode and the future episodes of this series will be highly valuable, whether you're a business owner or not. But if you are a business owner and you've either thought about investing, maybe you've started investing or maybe you've never invested, then this is going to blow your mind. You're going to have quantum paradigm shifts in the way you think about wealth creation and what your life can be like. Now, in this episode, we covered heaps of really good ground. We, we really tried to tackle one big question, why business owners need to build, build wealth, both inside and outside of business and, and what they can do. We covered a, What are some of the stuff we covered, Charlie? We covered uh, why, why even bother investing in real estate, right? <laughs> that was a big one. Yeah, a huge one. And I think we covered well the, I guess, the aha moments we both, mm. both had that really had us pick real estate as a path or something we really wanted to get involved in, which I thought was really cool. And then I, I really enjoyed, there was a component where you kind of shared where you kind of your three things that make the difference. Like if you do these three things when it comes to real estate, you're going to have a, well, a much better experience. Yeah, 100%. We also talked about like like when, like when and when and why. Like so so firstly, why even bother investing in property? We covered that in a really big way. We talked about our personal journeys about how we sort of found our way in this in this space in in our own unique ways. We talked about when to like start like when, like when to take profits out a little bit. We talk, kind of talked about that kind of stuff. Well, I know we covered a very contra- we covered a couple of little controversial topics. Firstly, um, we covered the controversial topics of potential returns, which is a big one for business owners to understand. And we also covered uh, another big one around uh, the big kind of myth that a lot of or the big issues that a lot of business owners have when thinking about property and the fact that they basically just don't even understand it. Hugely, I would just say that that's the thing: how to think about property when you are a business owner is is such a unique thing I haven't heard elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And we covered the similarities and how you actually need to think about property as a business, which is a big one because whether you're a business owner now or not, if you are a property investor, you are a business owner. Like that is just the reality and those, those are just the facts. So we talked about, we even talked, we even touched on stuff like how to identify growth areas and what influences market cycles. We talked about oof, another controversial topic that um, Sydney and Melbourne are the two most volatile markets in the country. We covered a lot of ground in this one, Charlie. And we're just getting started. We are just getting started. So 
If you have any any interest in business or real estate, then the Property and Business series is absolutely for you because this is specifically designed to take a different view, a different angle and to expose a different thought paradigm, narrative and voice to a very interesting collision of two unique and exciting worlds that we're both extremely passionate about. And Charlie, I'm really excited to be going on this journey with you and we don't even know how many episodes we're going to do, right? Oh, well, hopefully some of the people who listen to this will reach out and say, oh, you guys are duds, stop making this or, ooh, let's do more. And hopefully yeah. we can turn it into something much bigger. Absolutely. So if you receive this via email, like you might get an email from me, you might get an email from Charlie, you might get an email from one of us. If you get an email from this, check it out. Hopefully if you are listening to this, you're checking it out. So thanks. That's good. Send it, respond to the email, just like reply to the email and say, hey, this was great. Or can you talk more about this? Or give us some feedback because your feedback is going to help us shape the narrative around this conversation so it can be even more high value. But we know we've got a lot more planned. Um, I can't wait to get stuck into it. So if you want to know, uh, well, where are we going to send people? What's the, what's the call to action, Charlie? We hadn't discussed that. I'll tell you what, maybe we just leave them in suspense and say, make sure you tune into the next episode that comes out of this because you're going to want to make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Probably leave us a review as well if you can. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Yep. And then uh, make sure you tune into the next part of this series as well. Absolutely. Without any further ado, we look forward to seeing you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab, but this is not your average Investor Lab episode. In fact, I am joined today by a very special friend, a client, a colleague, a peer, and his name is Charlie Vela. Charlie, how are you today? I'm excellent, Glues. I must admit, I'm a little bit nervous. I've done a lot of podcasts in my time, but never one on this topic. So uh, let's just say I'm hoping to deliver on a level that meets my and your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it's going to be great. So, okay. So let's let's give this a little bit of an introduction. So what we decided we wanted to do, we so Charlie, you're, you're a business owner. You deal with a lot of other business owners. I'm a business owner. I deal with a lot of other business owners and we both have a passion for property. And we wanted to combine this to create a special series that is specifically designed for to answer some of the questions and to solve some of the problems of, of business owners who are interested in investing in property, right? Absolutely. So now, if you are not a business owner, don't, don't think that this isn't for you because this is going to cover some awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. But if you are a business owner, then, then this is going to be absolutely dynamite because we're going to be digging right into it from two very different perspectives. I mean, my perspective is that I spend all my pretty much seven days a week thinking about property, but also thinking about business. And Charlie also does it the same, but in a slightly different way. So Charlie- I feel like, I feel like we're reversed. It's like, I feel most of my time is on business and then all my spare time is on property. And mm. then uh, you get to, of course, your lanes are more closely aligned, but it's like you've got this big property uh, foresight and mind that I realized is very different to mine. But then you've got the whole business acumen as well, which is why I think the conversations are so interesting. Absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree, which is why I'm, I'm excited. I mean, we don't, we don't even know how long, how many parts there are going to be in this series because there is so much. We've been talking over the last few weeks about all of these different ideas and all of these questions that we want to talk about. And so we're just going to give this, give this platform enough time to breathe. And, uh, and as long as we're bringing value, I think we'll keep doing it, right? Absolutely. So Charlie, why don't we, um, why don't we kick things off? So what we're going to cover today is, is starting with a fundamental fundamental idea. I mean, for a lot of business owners, they might be, a lot of business owners have never thought about property. And I know this because so many of my friends are business owners, entrepreneurs and stuff like that. 
and they're all really, really good at business. Right? And they're all like absolutely crushed it, really good at marketing. They're really good at sales. They've got great teams and systems and all of this kind of stuff. And fundamentally, I, I don't know any, you're probably the most uh, property uh, knowledge advanced of any of, the, uh, of any of the business friends that I've got. And I think there's a huge gap because a lot of business owners think, well, why would I, why would I want to take my money out of business? Why, why would I even invest outside of business? Can you tell me a little bit about what your pathway was with that? It's a big question and a great question. I think I had what I would call a light bulb moment. I had something where it's like you're one person one day and then you're a different person the next day. Like I had learned something I can't unlearn. <laughs> and I had this moment where it's like, to be honest, things were really good in business. Like we're having, making money. Um, everything was coming together. And then I had this idea of like, well, how does this actually lead to the future I want? Like, where's the opportunity for like retirement or where's the opportunity of like, how does this all play out? And I'd, I'd made some assumptions. I thought, well, maybe I'll just sell my business. Maybe I'll run it until the end of days. And I looked at all these things. And I, the one that really got to me was uh, Kodak. Kodak really, really got to me. And why, I'll, I'll, I have to give that context. Kodak was perceivably like one of the biggest, powerful companies at the time. Yeah. Right, and they actually even invented the digital camera, which I think is so ironic in their demise. Um, but when I looked at it, you had this juggernaut of a power business and time wasn't kind to them. As things changed, they didn't necessarily evolve or adapt and their future became very bleak. I'm sure most people know the story. Um, but for me, I looked at the industries I'm in and I'm like, are they going to exist in 20 years? Mm. Am I banking on an exit that may not happen or am I assuming the landscape's going to stay a certain way? And I didn't feel very well diversified and I didn't feel like I'd necessarily given myself the best odds or chances to uh, achieve the best result overall. So that was the like, oh, I'm not sure I'm comfortable here. I think I need to get myself educated. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Because like uh, for, for some people who, for people who aren't in business, they look at business owners and they think, oh, that business, you're, you own a business, you make loads of money and life's great, right? But the reality is for most business owners, there's this, it's, there's a there's a real challenge at the start, particularly at the start. To like, how the hell do I even do this? And, it, and it's it is one asset class. Like, business is just an asset class, right? And it's a very active asset class, and that's kind of the problem. Now, you can look at the gains that you can make in business. I mean, just look at Amazon. Look at um, we were actually discussing yesterday how how disgusted you were at the current share price of Apple, right? Very to be clear, still. Am. <laughs> So, like, you can make you know, astronomical sums of money in business, but we're talking about the, the absolutely fractional minority of businesses that achieve that 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 level, those levels of kind of wealth and growth. The reality is, in any case, that it takes a lot of work and it's a very active strategy. So, I, the way I see business is a cash flow strategy. Now, the problem that I see with a lot of business owners is that as you kind of pointed out, like, okay, you've kind of worked out business. You've got a business. It's making money. You know, okay, life's good. You've got a team. Cool. You've got a system. Great. Fantastic. But there's kind of two fundamental problems. You sort of touched on it there. What happens next? Like, do you just keep, do, do you just keep doing this until you're 60? And then what? Like, and then what? Or alternatively, if you don't want to keep doing that sound that to me just sounds like a job. Like, so you've essentially worked really, 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 really hard to uh, build the skills to take a lot of risk to essentially have a job. Got it. Okay, cool. Nothing wrong with having a job. That's all good. So that's one, that's one big issue that I see. But then the other issue that I see is for business owners, you can work really, really, really hard and you can build this asset, 
that requires you to tend to it. It requires you to attend to it. Now, there's a lot of people out there like Michael McCallowicz who talks about, you know, the, the idea and, you know, Michael Gerber and all of these kind of guys that talk about the idea that, you know, it's not a real business until you can take time away from your business and it can flourish without you. Now, the interesting thing with those kind of ideas is the litmus test they use for that is typically, can you go away for a month? Right? That's typically the litmus test, which is all good. But I don't know of a single business, well, there's probably a few, but there's probably a couple, but realistically, 99.9% of businesses, if the business owner doesn't show up for say 12 months, that business isn't going to be, it's definitely not going to, if it still exists, it's not going to be as healthy as it once was. And so I kind of see there's this big challenge there that, that business owners can actually get to a point where they can make money, but then actually have no way to break free from that, that, that structure that they've made. D- does that make sense? Oh, you're hitting some nerves. I, I'm probably one of the few. I'm very fortunate where I probably could take a month off or three and not really do any severe damage. My business would run. I won't say fantastically to the best degree, but it would run. Mm. But I look at that and just go, that's not necessarily the achievement I'm trying to unlock here. Like, uh, and Keith Cunningham says this, you know, the, and I, I love that he takes a dig at Tim, uh, Tim Ferriss when he says it, you know, working four hours a week is a great idea if your competition is working too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. <laughs> and I just think the same thing is, is kind of existing here. Like you can still have a well-optimized business where you could have really good leverage, but I still think that doesn't necessarily hedge against the idea of doing other assets or doing other things. I think there is the opportunity for both. And an overall better outcome is achievable in both. Uh, which is where it comes together. I hundred percent agree, and I think that that's where you start to optimize for optimize. I, I like to call it optimizing for fulfillment, right? So, if you just optimize for profit in your business, that's great. But again, it's going to be a relatively fragile strategy, as you said. Like you're not trying to optimize your life to be able to take three months off. Like you, you want you want something more, right? You want high higher levels of fulfillment. Now, fulfillment could mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but that's ultimately, I think, the aim of the game. Now, the, the problem is though that just in the same way that if you, if you kind of combine different asset classes together, you can actually start to, to magnify the results. Like if you can actually work out firstly why you would even take money out of the business like, and how to do it well, you can actually start to create an environment where not only your business is healthier, but you actually have more passion in your business and you've also set yourself up with an exit strategy that doesn't rely on you trying to potentially maybe sell your business. And let's face it, most businesses aren't actually set up to sell anyway, right? So they're not, they're not actually sellable, most businesses. So the reality is if you, if you actually play this game right, you can build a business, generate profit, move that into a, an asset class, which can generate more profit, compound your wealth, and actually give you that liquidity and freedom that allows you to just show up in your business as a completely you know, passionate and fully, fully present individual for the long term, and I think that that's a huge, that's a huge key to unlocking fulfillment for any business owner. Hugely, absolutely hugely. Like I, um, I, I will admit, I've noticed a few things that since I've been on this property journey and doing things, the idea that it's not, a re, I'm not reliant, has really like impacted certain risks or behaviours. It's like, okay, well, if this all, and not that I would ever intentionally do this, I would say, but okay, if this doesn't work out, I'm fine. Yeah, like it's completely fine, and I think that's a very interesting mindset to come into the world with. Hundred percent. I was talking with a, um, I was talking with a business owner yesterday, and I was explaining to him about uh, he he totally just didn't really understand. He literally was like, "Why would I bother investing in property?" That was literally his his position. And I said to him, "I was like, if you got if you got hit by a bus, let's just say you walked out of where you are right now, you got hit by a bus, and you went into a coma for twelve months. Firstly, would your business survive? No. Secondly." 
if you if you had if you actually built the property built a property portfolio in the right way, if you divested some of your profits and set up another wealth strategy, could you theoretically at least wake up twelve months later and be wealthier and, and better off? And if you do it properly, you can. But then also that's then we've got to start thinking about strategies about how to do that. But once you can start to set up different pillars of wealth, you start to create that that opportunity, that freedom that you go, well, even if this failed, right? Hey, guess what? Maybe there was a pandemic and the business failed. You know, maybe there's something like that. <laughs> I can't believe you can say that and it's legitimately true, by the way. Yeah, no. Some more weird times. <laughs> anyway, continue. Exactly. I mean, like right now more than ever, everyone's fully aware that that you know, the best laid plans don't always uh, eventuate. And so actually having another strategy that can support you so that realistically, no matter what, you can, you can do whatever you want. The way that I explained it to this, to this guy and it was completely blew his mind, if he was to take, if he was to start taking profits out of his business, and if he was to start investing in in real estate, which is what we're going to be talking about a little bit on this podcast, in re- investing in real estate that would grow in value, and I explained him the benefits of that, and also produce a surplus in- income stream, he could literally. Now this guy runs a copywriting business, right? So he loves writing, and and I was like, dude, you could actually feasibly, you could go to Barcelona, move to Bali, do whatever you want. And you could actually take two, three years, go overseas, do whatever. You could sail the world if you wanted. You could actually do these kind of things which seem like a fantasy, but you could actually come back to Australia and actually be much wealthier and much better off than, than if you had actually even just stayed and, and tried to make it work. And the reality is you can actually create a second income stream that can actually fund you to do that kind of stuff too, which sounds like, it sounds like complete nonsense, but I mean, the maths is just there to make it a possibility. So, well, I'd love to ask you this, Goose, because yeah. this has been one of the things that I have very much challenged my own thinking on. So, even in my own environments now, I look around and most of the business owners I look at are, are working pretty hard. Yeah. In fact, I actually don't know any that really don't work hard. They're mm-hmm. all putting in the hours and, and doing what's required in general. What I would say, though, is that it almost seems like too good to be true. Like you really struggle to wrap your head around it when you look around and that's the environment you're in. Which, which, which part of it? Like the, the fact that everyone's working too much or, or, or the so. fact that you can actually have more freedom? All right. So let's lay this down. We'll use your examples. Like let's say uh, you are this writer and your environment is everyone around you is working hard, buying a house they live in, doing all these things and you think that's the way. Like you're conditioned to think this is normal and how it's done. And you tell a guy, hey, you know, if you moved over to Bali, not that I'm yeah. sure you can do that right now, but insert uh, that uh, option mm. and you could be doing these things remotely. Uh, it kind of goes, well, it can be hard to make that jump mentally. I think it can be very, very difficult for someone to kind of realize this is an option for you. Oh, in- insanely so. I, so um, uh, a guy actually that we both know, um, uh, Ben is his name. I was talking to him about it. He was talking to me about he's finally got to that point in his business where he's producing enough surplus profit reliably producing profit in the business and he's like okay well now what he's he's got that he's got that that question that 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 comes up anytime for any business owner at a certain point they're they're going to be saying well yeah and now what so i was talking to him about that and i was saying okay what do you want to try to achieve what do you want to do blah 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 he's actually moving to france right now because his partner's in in france now he's was saying look ultimately i want to achieve this the next day i want to i want to i want to buy an apartment in paris and i want to buy a place in sydney and blah 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 and it cost 10 million dollars for this and co- so and i was like okay so why specifically why do you want to own an apartment in paris he's like well, what do you mean i was like well i mean i can understand you want to live in paris but like why do you that's like you'd be tying up like 2 million dollars of capital to do that 
And he was like, well, because that's, I mean, that's what you do, right? You just, you buy a home and you buy it. And so maybe I'll have a home over there and I'll have a home over here. And I was like, yeah, but is that the best way to spend your money? Ben. And, and I said, wouldn't it actually be better if you could take your profits, invest them in assets that could produce enough equity and revenue to cover the cost of you living wherever you wanted and run your business from wherever you want? And it was a complete, he had a bit of a meltdown. He was like, oh my God, I've been indoctrinated my whole life to believe that I need to own a home. And it's, and you know, if you look at the, if you look at arguably some of the, I won't say the most, necessarily the most successful, but they, they are very successful, but probably the most famous property investing people, like people like Grant Cardone, Robert Kiyosaki, they're all rent investors. You know, there's a massive reason for that. You know, your home is a liability. That's the reality of it. It's a cash liability. It's a debt liability. And I'd say 99% of any of the successful investors that I've ever known, seen, or read about in Australia, all rent vest. And I think there's a huge thing there for business owners as well to understand that you can actually achieve greater levels of freedom, uh, time freedom, financial freedom, because you can actually create better financial benefits, reduce your costs, increase your returns in your own life, and also create greater levels of fulfillment just by thinking about how you're, how you're operating in your current matrix. Some big topics there, looking to really take down some big organizations, already attacking the Australian home as a liability. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but Goose, I mean, I'm I'm very curious. I'm I'm pretty confident um, you didn't start as a kid in property, and like, no, it was something that was. Uh, and I know a bit of your backstory from your book, and like, you come from festival world of all places, um, which is very different to real estate in my mind. I imagine it's a different ecosystem altogether. But what made you suddenly go property is the thing for me? Like, what was the conclusion or the aha moment or the realization you had, which made you go, look, this is where I want to be. I can see this is the best opportunity for me and I'm going to spend a lot of time here. Yeah, so it's probably worth, it's probably worth um, giving a little bit of backstory. By the way, if you haven't got, my, if you haven't got a copy of my book, um, you can get it at renegadespropertybook.com. Um, it's worth giving a little bit of a backstory because you're right, I was in a completely different industry. I had no idea about property. My family weren't a property family. My, my parents have never invested well, in anything, like in anything at all. Um, I remember when I was younger, my brother was sort of talking about, oh, you can't go wrong with bricks and mortar. And I was like, I don't even understand what you're saying. Um, and my journey was that I left high school. I left high school early because I was already running my own company. And I spent about 13 years traveling the world, organizing music festivals, doing heaps of cool stuff. I had companies in three different continents. You know, it was, but I was, I, I was as you can imagine, 13 years of traveling the world, doing music festivals. I developed some pretty bad habits. And at the end of it, um, as I started to get towards, I guess, the end of my lifespan within that um, sector, I was burnt out. I'd been working 100-hour weeks. I had no savings. I had no money. I had no home. I was living in my office. I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. Like, life was pretty rough. Like, like it was pretty low. Um, and that probably would have been me for, that probably would have been me, really, until I met my partner, Gabby. And it was only through meeting Gabby, who's a much who's a much better human than I was <laughs> at that point, that I started, we started to think, okay, well, what are we going to do to get ahead? And I started going, oh, well, if I actually want to keep this, this lovely you know, person in my life, I actually need to become a better person. And what's not working right now is working 100-hour weeks and having nothing to show for it. You know, Because we'd make money, we'd spend money, and it was always, ah, well, you know, we'll just get more contracts, we'll just do more stuff. And we never really had a plan. We never had a continuity plan in life. Anyway, so... Uh, Gabby and I went out to buy a property. We we 
we, I remember talking to my business partner at the time and we had this great conversation. I'm sure that you have probably thought this too and I'm sure that pretty much every other business owner or any other person has thought this too. I said to him, my business partner at the time, I said, so, all right, because he was thinking about buying as well. We were both starting to think, hang on, something's got to change. And I said, so property doubles every seven to 10 years, right? He said, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how it works. And I was like, okay, so pretty much like what, you just buy any property and like, that's it. Because we could see we could see all of these people who'd made tons of money. I mean, his parents bought a property in Melbourne for like $75,000 and now it's worth like $2 million. We're like, all you just got to do is buy, right? Just buy anything. We thought it was that simple. So Gabby and I went and successfully, sorry, you're smiling there. I was just like, you know, well, Goose, you just start an online business, right? Doesn't, doesn't matter what you sell. Or yeah, it's right. online. It's, it's a success. It's online. online. You've got an ABN, yeah. right? <laughs> you got a PayPal account, an ABN, and you're on the line. So it's the same thing, right? So we just thought. Totally. So we went and did, or we made all the mistakes. We bought the wrong property in the wrong place at the wrong time. When I say that, so we bought an off the plan apartment. Um, and it had all the bells and whistles, and uh, it was literally right. It was literally like two weeks before the Melbourne market collapsed um in 2018 um and we'd borrowed a heap of money from family and friends because i hadn't had a money right at the time so we borrowed money from family and friends to this was our moment we were going to get ahead and and literally the the moment that we signed the contract we raced from there to some property seminar and they started talking about positive cash flow properties and all of this stuff and then and a penny dropped and i went oh hang on a second Maybe we didn't put enough thought into this. But of course, I had too much ego, so we didn't pull out of the contract. We're like, no, 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 it's a great decision. But it was that, it was that kind of realization of like, oh my God, if I made another mistake, because I'd obviously made a few um, in life, I was like, oh my God. And I sort of went on this journey to really try and understand it because I could see all these people that were crushing it, you know, absolutely crushing it. And I was like, there's got to, I'm, I'm missing something here. So over the course of about 12 months, Gabby and I spent um, about 100 grand on courses, like spruikers, basically. If you, if you name one, we've probably done it. Um, the good thing about that is we saw a lot of what not to do in the industry and we saw a lot of um, how people get hurt and damaged. But through the process, we, we, well, particularly myself, I got super into trying to understand how all of this worked. And I'm talking, you know, staying up all night with spreadsheets and trying to understand it. And what I started to understand was a couple of interesting things that you can go very wrong in property, but if you get it right, it's got a, it's got a magnifying power that, that I, I did, can't see in any other asset class, you know, and it has the ability to create more change, more impact, more wealth than pretty much anything else I'd, I'd ever seen. And it's all just about getting a few fundamental pieces right. So it was in 2018 that the penny dropped for me. And I remember having this moment where I was like, hang on a second. If all you need to do is combine three elements, firstly, it's not easy to combine the three elements, but, it was, but if you can combine three simple elements in every property you ever buy, firstly, you can continue to build a, you can build a, you can build a scalable property portfolio. Secondly, you can create a situation where you don't have to work anymore. Like it, it was just too, it was actually too, too much. It was too much. I felt like I'd, I felt like I'd, 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 I'd like, you know, taken too many drugs or something. Like I was like, I was a bit, over, I was a bit overwhelmed. And so I went to disprove it. I was like, it can't be like this. Surely not. Surely that these, these ideas that I had and this process and this, this formula I put together didn't work. So I went out and spoke to, I went and sought out a lot of successful investors, brokers, all kinds of, I was like, I needed to disprove my theory because I was like, it can't be this simple because if it was this simple, everyone would do it, right? 
But time and time and time and time and time again, I was told that actually what I had worked out is just the thing that nobody else had worked out. The biggest issue with what I'd worked out, which is what we call the Holy Trinity, and we'll talk about that later, is that it's, it's hard to find, right? It's, if you can get cash flow and capital growth and the ability to control the asset all in one thing, that's great. But then the, re- the, the, reason, the reason that most people don't do it is it's really hard to find. But once you understand, once you can kind of see through a gateway and you, you transform the way you think about wealth and everything like that, it's like there's, there's, a, piece, there's a piece of your psyche which opens up that you can't close the door on very easily. Um, and so then it just went, okay, well, how do we find it? Because if you know, if you know that you can get the ultimate solution, the way that I like to think about this is, is if you know what greatness is, to aim for anything else is to aim for mediocrity. Like if you know what greatness is and you just go, ah, I'll just, I'm not going to work that hard. I'm happy to go halfway. You're, you're deliberately seeking out mediocrity and, and life is too short for that, in my opinion. I know that was a bit of a ramble. No, I, I like it, but I have more questions. Go on. Okay. So, I mean, we will discuss the Holy Trinity, I think probably in another episode, just because I, yeah. I, I like where we're going with this episode at the moment. But two curious uh, points there that kind of look into it is that, you know, you've gone on this big exploration and look at things. And as a business owner, like I, I was much in the same thing of like, I'd heard people uh, doing really well in property, yeah, but the numbers weren't making sense. I also heard of a lot of people getting burnt or taking a loss in property yep. as well. So if you're a, a business owner, like how do you sit there and actually say, instead of reinvesting in my business, that I'm going to come over to property now and start thinking about diversifying or taking some of my profits out? Like how do you make that discernment that that's the move? Like you've had this big experience, but that's kind of shown you the light of, okay, well, this is what I want to do it. But for other people, they may not necessarily transition career paths and have that same experience. 100%. So what you're really saying is, why would you bother taking money out of the business? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a really great question because for a lot of business owners, there's really, there's a few different types of business owners. Um, there's there's uh, referral-based business owners who've got a consistent, they've got, they've got a relationship um, capital business, um, which doesn't, they don't have to necessarily invest money to generate uh, more revenue. Um, so they've got a pretty reliable system going on. So they're like, why would I, I don't know, like I've got a nice life, why would I change anything? Then you've got the other type of business owners who actively invest in marketing strategies where they might get a 5x return on their ad spend and stuff like that. And they're like, hang on a second, I can get five times. I put in I put in $10,000 and I get $50,000. Why would I want to invest in something else? That was the, to be clear, that was the exact thing I wrestled with for yeah. a while when I looked at it. And I was like, okay, it was like, I can invest more in here and get this and then it's over here. Do you know what happens though when you invest $10,000 in ads? Ads and get a get fifty thousand dollars of revenue. Have to do some work. Yeah, you've increased your <laughs> workload. You've actually increased your workload, so you haven't given yourself any more. You haven't actually given yourself any more freedom. You've just made yourself busier, right? So you're essentially you're essentially just feeding the machine. You're just making a bigger machine. So rather than actually working at how to step outside the machine and create a better machine, just working out how to create a bigger one. And bigger is not always better, particularly if you actually want to do anything else in your life other than working business, right? So well, I would even go further to say some businesses just aren't systemizable to the point as others. Like if you're a brand business, like if you're, I'll say Oprah, right? Oprah's still got to get on that stage. Like her talking plays a heavy role. Surely she can get leveraged and all the rest. But the reality is the more shows she does, the more she's showing up. Totally. You mentioned an interesting word there, leverage, right? So the, the, the thing is that even, right, let's just go to an extreme. Let's say, let's say Oprah, right? Or Jeff Bezos. 
what are they, if they just made, if they made, let's just say they made a hundred million dollars in cash, they had a hundred million dollars in their bank account. What are they going to do with it? What then? Like, are you just trying to pile up money? Like, what's the point in being in business? Like, what you got to ask, you ask yourself a very big question. It's quite challenging for a lot of people to ask themselves big questions. A lot of people actively avoid asking themselves big questions. And the big question is, what are you even doing this for? Like, why, why are you even here? Now, a lot of people will have a mission-driven business and that's great and that's fantastic. But at a certain point, you're going to have to think about what, like, what's next and what else is there. So... Now you can do you can you can think about retirement. You can think about um, exiting. You can think about um, mini retirements. You can think about um, legacy. You can think about all of those kind of things in a, in a variety of different ways. One way is pile up the cash in the bank and hope that you've piled it up big enough and that you die fast enough that you don't run out of money in the meantime. That was my first strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually I had this conversation with my parents when they were like going through their whole like retirement planning and stuff like that. And I was like, guys, we can do this. We can invest. We can do that. And mum was like, well, we've got like this much in super and this and um, I'm like, okay, cool. Just as long as you die fast enough, which is a brutal thing to say, but it's like, it's, it's hectic because the, the, if you don't die quick enough, you're going to die broke. Right. And Hey, who wants that? Particularly if you've spent a whole bunch of time, energy and money and risk trying to build a business so that you can avoid that kind of thing. So, Here's the thing. I'm not saying I'm not saying don't do business, and I'm not saying to take all of your profits out. But at a certain point, you've got to look at what is a meaningful amount of money to leave on the table in your business. What is a meaningful amount of money to take off the table in business, and what can you do with it to build build a a, a risk mitigating, uh, wealth accelerating strategy? So I'm not sure if I've answered your question. Well, I will re-ask it in a slightly different way to make okay. sure we do here. But it's like, I, I think the thing I asked more specifically is like, why wouldn't you keep reinvesting in your business? Why would you consider uh, moving some out? Well, that's a good question. That is, a, that, is a, that is a good question. So, well, business, as we touched on, is very active. That's a big one. And so if you can create something that doesn't require you to, and we, we touched on leverage just, a, just a, a second ago, if you, could, if you could take your money and put it in something that can actually give, make you money without you having to do anything, that's ultimate leverage. So rather than you putting more money into growing your business and creating more work, more stress, all right, you build, it, you build a bigger business and a bigger business and you go from five employees to 20 employees to 50 employees to 100 employees to 200 employees. You've got middle management, upper management, you've got an executive C-suite, you get all this kind of stuff, you get listed on the stock market. How cool, like sounds fun, sounds awesome. I'm, I'm down, I'm super down with that. But wouldn't it be nice if you had a little piece of your life that was doing all of that by itself, that was increasing your wealth base, your net worth, was increasing your residual income stream, right? Because I know a lot of people who like, and we were talking about it, uh, you showed, sent me a book um, the other day, but billions, to, uh, billions to bust. You know, it doesn't matter how big you get. There's always, a, there's always a risk. And this is kind of the inherent issue with business is it's super active and it's super volatile. All you need to do is look at the, look at the, the share market, which is a representation of business, right? It's, a, it's the business line. Right, it's like all over the place. It's up forty percent. It's down sixty. It's up eighty. It's all over the shop. Well, this is what brings me back to my earlier point. I'm sorry to interject, but it's like this was the Kodak moment. Is like you look at what's going on in the world right now. You would have bet pretty heavily that gyms and restaurants were safe here. Yeah, that's totally a safe industry. And then somehow uh, a guy that uh, makes properties on the internet 
so he makes podcasts and videos and has a media company. That's the safer option? Yeah. Like, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> and then if you think AI isn't coming for my industry, um, it, it is. Like, I don't think uh, media and internet experience we have today will exist in the way we do 20, maybe 25 years from now. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, there's a lot of advancements in the media space. I was reading a lot about deep fakes yesterday and just how um, insidious deep fakes have gotten. And there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole bunch changing. But the thing is that changes all around us is, is, is business changes all around us, industry changes. I mean, right, right now you've got retail, which is closing down all over the place. You know, industries, industries and business shift with the times in a massive, massive, massive way. The reality is, and I'm, I'm not here to just like trying to beat an old drum, but the reality is real estate is super stable. Like everyone needs a house. Maybe they need to rent, to live in or whatever, but it's super stable. Now, a lot of people might think, why would I take money out of the business to invest in something that is really slow, is really complicated, um, doesn't really give me much back for my money. They've probably heard about negative gearing. They're like, why would I take something that's profitable and take my profits and put it into something that costs me money? Because that's essentially negative gearing. And so you've kind of got all these thoughts that percolate around in the brain of a business owner. They're like, hang on a second. I've got this one thing that I do and it makes money and it makes it fairly fast, right? Really consistently. But then if I take that money that I can make fast consistently and, and, and all of that kind of stuff and I put it into something that either costs me money is really slow and it's really complex and I could get it wrong and I heard lots of people lose a lot of money and oh my God, it's like, you're 100% right. Why would you? And the here is, herein, herein lies a really big challenge because what I worked out was that it doesn't have to be that way. So the average, the average amount of time, the average kind of like the, the regular strategy, the old school strategy, typically the strategy of, of like probably your parents' generation and stuff like that was um, try and buy five properties. Try And I use the word try very, very clearly. Try and buy five properties and then try and hold those five properties for 30 years. And then at the end of 30 years, they will have paid themselves off and hopefully they will produce enough revenue to replace your income. Yeah, there's a lot of try and hopefully there. The reason there's try and hopefully is because most of the time people have a negatively geared assets, have ne negatively geared strategy, which means that for those who don't understand what that means, really simply, the asset produces less revenue than it uses. So therefore, it makes a net operating loss. Okay, it loses money. And then you get to claim that, back, claim that loss back on, back on tax, which sucks because who wants a business that loses money, right? Well, to, to your point, that's if you're a business owner, that's like opening up a new division of your business mm. intentionally to lose money to bring down your tax bill. Totally. So it does work though. Like look at Uber. Uber's a negatively geared business. Yeah, I think that's a different strategy, but kind of. <laughs> well, they make a net operating loss uh, in the quest for growth, right? And, the, and look, and so it happens and you can, you can draw those uh, similarities across. But you're right. It is the way I like to think about property is that you've got two components. You've got land and then you've got a shop that sits on top of it. Now, the shop could be, could be a three-bedroom house or it could be a unit block or it could be a duplex, but it's essentially a shop. And you're, as, as a property investor, you're also a business owner. It's the business of real estate investing. And that shop that you have on your piece of dirt, now the dirt is what you buy that goes up in value because the, the shop that you put on top, that's going to go down in value because paint fades, Timber wears out, roofs get older, taps wear out, it all depreciates. However, you're in the business as a property investor of selling accommodation solutions. 
Okay, so then your target market and your clientele are going to be dictated by the type of shop that you have. Okay, so you've got to then think about how that's going to work in the different markets and stuff like that. But if you think about it like a business, okay, I've got a shop on a bit of land and I do I want my shop? And you could psychologically exchange that for a milk bar, right? Do I want to buy a milk bar that loses money? No, like I don't know anyone. If you said, hey, would you like to buy that milk bar? It loses money every week. Do you want to buy that? It'd be like, no, why would you? Like, that's just crazy talk. But that's the kind of thing that, that 90, well, the stats speak for themselves. 93, uh, 93.1% of property investors never get past two properties. And there's a big reason for that. Firstly, they don't know what they're doing. Secondly, they're negatively geared and they've got properties which lose money. Firstly, why would you even want to keep going in property if you were losing money in your properties every week and it was costing you money? Secondly, secondly, you reach a debt ceiling that you won't even be able to service any more debt and keep going. So there's a huge piece there that when you start getting assets, which, you know, if, if, you, if you believe that real estate investing is slow, oh, it's going to take 30 years. And if you believe it's going to cost me money, negatively geared, and if you believe it's really complex and really hard, then absolutely, why would you take money off the table when you could do what you already know how to do? But I think that's the paradigm shift that business owners need to start to understand is that all of those things are wrong and they're a lie and it doesn't have to be that way anymore. It's so interesting. You just described the breakthrough I had with thinking about property was thinking of it like you're owning hotels, thinking of it mm. like you're, you're owning an accommodation business and then I, it, it completely shift. Like I was like, sweet, just buy something on my street that I can like keep an eye on. Like, because yeah. that's what I want to do with my time. Uh, anyway, and then the next thing was if I if I view this as a, a business of accommodation, it suddenly becomes easy to realize what is good and not so good in areas. Like, oh, hang on, maybe people would be more likely to want to use my accommodation if it's near a beach, near uh, good schools, near jobs and opportunities, maybe near some infrastructure or hospitals. Like, it, it really gets you to think differently about. Well, I'll put it this way: it made me see so much cle- more clearly of when people go into property looking for security. So buying something that's near them because Mm. it's comfortable for them versus like, would you start an accommodation business of some kind in that area? It just completely shifts the view on like what is and isn't uh, necessarily a good idea and what maybe was a good idea 20 years ago for our parents might not be now. No, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's a big fundamental mistake that a lot of people make. They say, I want to invest. It's my first investment. I want to invest close close to me. I want it to be nearby. And I always say, why? Well, just so I can, you know, just so I can keep an eye on it. You know, I just want to be out. I'm like, hang on a second. Are you telling me that you're going to go and peek through the curtains with the tenants that are in there? I'm like, dude, that is, that's like, you're going to get in trouble for that shit. And the other, the, the other, I'm just like, I, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, oh, if something goes wrong, like, oh no. Yeah. So, yeah, so then the other thing is like, but what if something breaks? I'm like, all right, I can't sit, hang, hang on a second. So what you're saying is that when the plumbing breaks at 1am and there's shit everywhere, you're going to go over there. You're going to go, well, no, I'll call a plumber. Well, actually that's not even true. Your property manager will call a plumber. You're supposed to be sleeping at 2am. Right, so why would you? Why? Why? Why is it even relevant where it is for a start? And the other thing I always say is, how often do you visit your shares? No one's good. No. Oh well, I check it out online. Yeah, cool. I can do that for you if you want. You can check it out online. Go look at it online. You don't need to go there. Like, and and the reality is, it's statistically improbable for you to be able to invest in your own backyard and simultaneously just so happen to invest 
in the right property at the right place at the right time to get the right growth and to get all the right stuff. It is so statistically improbable that it's laughable. I can see that now. I really can see that now. I'm just laugh. I, do you ever look back on yourself and just go, what were you thinking? Yeah, like, yeah, I do. Yeah. I've, done, I've done that a lot. I've done that a lot. But I think that, yeah, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of myths and mistruths out there about, about real estate, about firstly how hard it is, how slow it is and, and the limited returns you can get out of it. I mean, we, we were talking earlier um, about some of the results we've been getting for our clients and we, we were laughing and this is before we started recording because it was like, we can't even talk, we sort of can't even talk about it because people don't believe it. And you said that you had a belief threshold when you were starting in in, in property, what was your belief threshold of what could be po- possible? Well, this will give you an insight into how my mind works. Is like before I picked property in general or picked it, I said like, okay, well, there's investment classes available. Like I mm. could just buy another business or I could invest in shares or bonds or gold or Bitcoin or whatever it is and property. Um, and I actually first went down the path of shares, I will admit. Shares, I again, I liked business. I thought, you know, again, this is somewhere where I could have an insight. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I chose against shares this quickly. I'll discredit shares. <laughs> this is an opinion. But I was like, I found that shares was way more active than I intended. Mm. I thought that a property seemed more active, but actually, uh, I found myself checking the news a lot. I found myself um, also realizing how little influence I had on the share price. So it, it kind of discerned me a little bit. And I just realized there's some bigger forces out there in the share market where you can lose a lot of money fast. Um, just completely out of control. There's some whales and heavy hitters out there moving markets in all honesty. The second mm-hmm. component is you can't add value to a share. What are you going to do? Like buy shares in Coles and then just go and just buy heaps of stuff at Coles, jack it up? Like, <laughs> yeah. How are you going to influence? Well, you can do that in property. But anyway, when I, when I started to research, I was like, you can get on Google and say like, you know, what's a good return in each of one of these ones? And I, I got onto property and I said like, well, what's the average returns been like? Like what have people done in the last 20 years um, or even the last 10 or five. And like, how does that look? And quite commonly, I, I got into some forums and there was kind of this range that if you were able to produce a 5% return in property per year, that you would be at the upper levels. Like if you're doing 5% annually on property, because you're dealing with some big numbers, 5% on a, a million dollars is a lot of money. It's not a small amount. Mm. So I'm like, right. So like if you can get a 5% return consistently, like that's the benchmark of what good is. I'll be a high achiever there. And then I also saw um, yield above, I was 4% yield. I was looking yep. in Melbourne, I will say, where 4% yield is like, I would think a good yield. And I was like, okay. And then the other side of that was like, all right, to your point is like, how many properties do people get? So I developed this, all right, I need five properties. Um, if I can get 5% per year and a yield of 4%, like that's how it's done. Like that's the, that's the end game. It's like dissecting a business and trying to reverse engineer it with no experience or knowledge. Mm. So uh, it, it seemed logical. <laughs> so when I saw anything outside of that, I was just like, no, nah, scam. This guy's a yeah. spruker. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. And you, you touched on a couple of points there. Like when you're comparing returns though. So even if we were to use that example of say 5%, let's just say a 5% return. Now, let's just, let's just say you took $100,000 and invested, five, invested in shares, right? You bought hundred thousand dollars worth of shares, and you got a five percent return. Right? Common, get? you can. I looked it up. You can invest in like a let's call it uh, AFIC, which is Australian uh, Foundation Investment. Like it's yep. one of those diversified funds, and you will get a on average, I think, even probably higher than five, but in general, five percent. Yep. Okay, so you put in a hundred grand, you get five grand back at the end of the year, right? Yep, that's your yield. 
That sounds shit. Why would you put in a hundred grand and get five grand back out? Okay, so you could put a hundred grand in ads and get more than five grand out. So why would you do that? Why would you put it? In? Why would you even take your money out of your business and put it in shares? You only need five grand for a hundred grand. Whereas in real estate, if you put, took a hundred thousand dollars and, for example, invested it in a five hundred thousand dollar property, and you got only got five percent um, a return, that'd be twenty five thousand dollars. So you've got five times you've got five times the amount of return. Purely by using leverage and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, you just hit on something there, Goose. This was the one that, um, again, like call me naive a little bit. I definitely am and still uh, was and am still. And I'm very aware of that, of like just how much I don't know these days. Mm. It's like I'd been very debt adverse. So, yeah. for example, I'd paid off all my business debt before I even looked at um, investing at all. I made sure we had no liabilities, we we're very cash flow positive. And then I was like, okay, I've got this surplus over here of cash that I can start putting into investments. That was my whole strategy. Yeah. What I didn't understand properly and probably still don't at the level that yourself or others might be is just how powerful debt is when used constructively. And you use that example, which I think is a really good one, is that if you were going to invest 100 grand in shares and you got 5% versus leveraging 100 grand into 500 grand in property and getting 5%, like there's a... I think they call it an exponential difference. And I know some people will nitpick on you know, interest and risk and a whole bunch of other things, but I think there's ways of kind of mitigating those or, or doing things different. Well, dude, I think- sorry, sorry to cut you off, but 100% there is a way to mitigate the risk. The way you mitigate the risk of your debt is you make sure that it, the asset produces more income than it uses, so it pays for its own debt. Yeah, that part I didn't, I didn't necessarily, as I said, this is where we go back and I'm looking at my 4% return. All right, so I'm looking at my 4% yield on this property that I'm going to buy. And I, I'm just thinking to myself, I, it's, still, it's going to cost me money. I'm going to have to put money into this every week. Like I'm actually going to be kind of running at a loss unless I've got a big enough deposit to make that work. Mm. So I think herein, herein lies like one of, the big, one of the biggest issues is you've, t- you've touched on because pe- most people don't know. Firstly, don't, they don't understand how it works. So if you don't understand how something works, then of course you're never going to think it's a good idea. I mean, I can use a, an interest. So you're talking about 4% yield. So yeah, 4% yield and 5% growth. Yeah. Right? So I can um, uh, look at one of our clients that we purchased a property for 12 months ago. And these are real numbers. This is, this is based on bank valuations. This is not hearsay. This is not conjecture. This is verifiable. This is legitimate. He bought a $229,000 property just over 12 months ago. And it's now valued at $333,000, okay? So that is 45.4% capital growth. Now, you might think 45.4% capital growth. That's Surely that's a lie, right? What do you think about 45, 45.4% capital growth? You told me a similar story not long ago and my answer was uh, because I was like, that sounds like bullshit, to be honest. Totally. I easily trips my bullshit meter. Totally. Well, here's the thing. If you want to, let's just trip this a little bit further because I want to push, I want to just use this as a little exercise to help show people what is actually possible. And I don't want it without, and I want to use some real numbers. So if he bought that property for $229,000, now roughly, very roughly, we'll just do some general maths here, it cost him about 27% in acquisition costs. So it was deposit, um, buyer's agency fees, stamp duties, and stuff like that as well. So 229,000 times 0.27. that is $61,830. Okay, so he invested, he took $61,830. This guy's a, a, an IT analyst, he's from, he's from Perth. Um, so $61,830, cool. 
Now, if we he made he made um, he made a forty five point four percent capital gain, so that's three hundred thirty thousand dollars minus the the twenty two hundred twenty nine thousand dollars. So that was one hundred one thousand dollars profit. Okay, so he's invested sixty two. We'll call it sixty five thousand dollars to make a hundred thousand dollars, just for simple maths. So what that means is that he actually made. 155% return on his capital in 12 months. It's just insane. That's absolutely insane. And the reason he was able to do that was firstly, obviously, by buying the right property, but secondly, through leverage and all of that kind of stuff. So when you actually, so this loops back to that question, why would anyone bother taking money out of the business? Well, firstly, because they think you can't do it in a good way. But if you could take money out of your business and get 155% return, by, by the way, so just back to the yields, that didn't factor in the yield. It's a 7% yield, right? So it's, it's producing about, that particular property produces about $4,500 net cash flow a year. So this, answer, this starts to answer the question. You can't answer it without actually starting to talk about what's possible. But the thing is, you have to start breaking down the paradigms of what people think is possible for people to understand why you would even do it. Because I agree with you. If you were only going to get 5% growth and 4% yield, well, why would you? That's quite simply, why would you? Why would you bother? So you go back uh, to the cash stacking strategy and just hoping I die quick enough. Like, we'll, we'll work that one. But yeah. I, I want to, there's something I really want to dig into there is like, and you kind of mentioned this before about like when you were with your business partner and you said, okay, well, you just buy a property and it doubles in, in seven years. Mm-hmm. When I visualize that myself, the mechanics are, okay, well, you, you buy a property and there's some sort of linear graph that everyone agrees to. Yeah. And like all properties just go up like in that little increment. So if you maybe buy in a good area. But I didn't necessarily understand. And this is one of the things I would really love for you to speak into a little bit and even share mm. on is there's actually like very different ways of thinking about it. So for example, an area gets a new hospital or an airport or there's some systematic change to a location through government or industry. That's the type of thing that can really influence an area. I probably just stole a little bit of your thunder and sounded smarter than I am. But um, those types of things I didn't understand or even could conceptualize, which could have a huge influence on this industry as well. Totally. I, I think... Uh, I think we need to zoom back out a little bit because you're right. You know, hospitals, schools, infrastructure, stuff like that. It's, it's all super important. And in fact, you know, if it, you know, in the in the Investor Lab podcast, we've got a whole series on on how to find uh, how to identify those core elements. There's ten there's ten core drivers. Um, there's actually a few more than ten, but there's ten core kind of infrastructure drivers and stuff like that. Now, the, I think we need to zoom back just a little bit though because you need to remember that property is non-linear. So, if we go back to Say um, the start of the 2000s, so the first the first decade, 2000 to 2010. Like everyone talks about Sydney being the the mecca for property price growth, but for 10 years it was the underperforming. It was the it was the six ad cousin in the property market in Australia. It didn't do anything. Like it was it was basically it was basically a swamp, right? In terms of in terms of like market movements and stuff. You know what was going really really well at that point in time? Darwin, Perth. You know so. Property markets move in cycles, but a lot of things, the problem with saying cycles is that people think it's a circle. They think it goes up like a clock. You hear this term, property clock, and they think, all right, it goes up and then it reaches a peak and then it goes down and then it goes gets to the bottom and then it goes up and then it reaches a peak. And they think it goes up and down and up and down like a bicycle wheel and around and around and around, which is just, that's nonsense too, right? That doesn't happen. If you look at any if you look at any graph of property price growth in Australia, it's a, it's not a circle; it's a line, and it goes up. Right? Simple. So, 
the thing is with that is it's also not like this timing thing. People talk about, oh, it happens in seven-year cycles or eight-year cycles or four-year cycles, and that's, that's a lie as well. That's not true. So what actually happens is the property markets do move in cycles, but they're economic cycles, they're psychographic cycles. There's all these kind of things that happen as we change as a community and as a society that force these kind of changes. Now, some of it is manufactured by private industry. So, so for example... Uh, for example, one of the places we're investing right now, there's a huge new, there's like heaps of new private industry, big, you know, manufacturing plants being built and heaps of jobs, people moving there. Good. That's good. So you've got private industry investment and then you've got public investment. Okay. So governments, you now typically governments want to, they, they plan well and truly ahead. And remember governments are just a business as well. They want to, okay, we need to get more rates over here. So we need to make it better so we can charge people more money to live there. And then they'll do systematic improvement strategies. Now, systematic improvement strategies could be anything from how do we make it nicer, I don't know, build better parks, to like how do we make it more livable, I don't know, build better schools, right? So there's those kind of things. And they influence these kind of cycles as well, or these movements. But then you've got socio-psychographic socio shifts, which is a big one that's happening right now, where people are going, well, I don't necessarily want to live in the city anymore. And then, they, and then they do making lifestyle changes. So we've seen this a lot with sea change and tree change and all these kind of things, which is why, as you said, if I had an accommodation business, I'd put it near the beach. That might hey, go, maybe. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. And it really, really depends, right? You actually have to have multiple factors working together. So it's when you actually start to understand what the core drivers are, you can actually start to work out, well, where is the best place to put my money and at what time based on what is the, what is the microcosm of, of, of key events that is going to influence and impact that movement at that point in time. And once you start to understand that, you can start to really crack the code. Because I can tell you, a lot of people talk about Sydney and Melbourne as being like the property market. And in fact, any media that you hear where they talk about the property market, they're talking about Sydney and Melbourne. You've got to remember that 17 million Australians live outside of Sydney and Melbourne. Like most of Australia is not Sydney and Melbourne. And so you've actually, you've actually got to take a much broader macroeconomic look at what's actually happening and moving around. And interestingly, what you find is that because there are so many moving parts, you've got private, public, psychographic, sociographic, demographic, you've got all of these kind of different influencing factors on what makes market move, markets move and why. And you've also got huge supply and demand and heaps of other stuff as well. What you can actually see is that sometimes a cycle can be as short as a couple of years. So for example, if you look at Ballarat and Bendigo, they should they should have been coming off the top of their cycle, but they're actually having a second uh, increase. They've gone from the top back to the, they've gone from mid, mid, uh, from, from 12 p.m. back down to a, about uh, seven and they're moving again. And, and that's because of a whole bunch of different stuff, largely because people are trying to get out of Melbourne right now. Um, and so once you start to understand these things, you can start to actually transform this idea that, well, I'll just buy and hope. That's really the, the, the traditional strategy, buy and hope. Well, I think... Um, I don't know. I think Preston's good. A few of my freight, a few of my mates have been moving around there. I guess that means other people want to move around there. I'll buy in Preston, and you just hope that you've done it right. And then, I don't know. I'll just wait and see what happens. Um, and that's the difference between getting say two, three, or four or five percent growth and getting forty-five percent growth. It's like this conceptualization of again, you're kind of like unlocking another layer. Is like you go through the you're buying a property to then the security potential security, I shouldn't say security, potential or perceived security of buying in a capital city like Sydney or Melbourne. And then when you start to really think about some of these nitty gritty ideas of like, as you mentioned, like, hang on, everyone's trying to get out of Melbourne. There's a very real reason why 
Bendigo or Ballarat or something like that might see different gains. And you start to see that how this is kind of coming together, like what's actually possible when you start to lay these. It's very, very cool. Very, very cool. Totally. It's a very contrarian view, but Sydney and Melbourne are actually the two most volatile markets in the country. Interesting. Why do you say that? Because it's true. Like I'm not just making it up. It's not an opinion. If you look at the if you look at the market movements and market cycles, and you look at the aggregated uh, median price of those two cities, and you can look at them on the greater Sydney, Melbourne, and shrink them down, and look at them all kinds of different ways. And of course, every time you look at data differently, you'll see different results. If you actually want to know what's actually happening in any market, you've got to get down into about the size of half a suburb. And that's what we call a microburb, and you can start to see what's going on there. But if you look at Melbourne, yeah, you know, 2018, oh, it crashed down. And then, and then 2019, it started going back up. And then 2020, it's down again. And it's all over the place. It's a roller coaster, right? And the reality is, as a business owner, you want to try and escape that roller coaster, right? Like, you actually, like, I don't know, but. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna have a volatile strategy, I want to be in control of it, right? If I'm gonna have a volatile strategy, I'm, I'm just gonna be in business, and I'm gonna at least be in the in the driver's seat of what the hell's going on, right? Totally, I want the volatility in my business, not in my investment portfolio. No, exactly, and the same thing goes for Sydney. It's up and it's down, and it's up and it's down. And the reality is, it's because of affordability and price brackets. Okay, so as wages haven't increased at the same price, same same rate as property prices and rents and all of that kind of stuff, the, the less affordable areas are way more volatile. Yep, you can make bigger gains because the swings are bigger, but it's the same as investing in, in highly volatile. It's, it's the same as startup investing. You, your gains can be massive, but it could be all over the place. And the fact, like, it's just, it is pure, it is just pure fact that Sydney and Melbourne are the two most volatile markets in the country something you learn every day i would never have guessed that at all or even perceived it just because of well i don't know maybe they were a good uh, pr company <laughs> totally well yeah they've got rupert murdoch who seems to be shouting from the shouting all the good and all the bad about them all the time but i mean look we've covered a lot of ground on this on this episode charlie what do you think like as a as a business owner what do you think is there anything that we've missed that that you think somebody who has been thinking about investing in property or maybe has never been thinking about investing in property, is there anything we've missed that we should have covered that we haven't um, that we're not going to cover in a future episode? Can't guarantee we won't cover it in a future episode as well. But I, I think if I was to have someone listen to this episode and you said to me, like, how do you want them to be different after this? Because mm. I, I really want them questioning what's next for them, like really what's next. And really like through that lens and the hopefully the same lens I viewed it is like, is your industry really going to exist in 20 years? Mm. Is it really as safe as you thought it was? Or is this something where you need to start thinking and planning a bit longer where you can, I don't know, for me, it was all about ensuring that my, I suppose, looking after my family and my parents was a huge driver here. Mm. But um, that would be the thing is like, just really considered, are you in the position you want to be and set up for the long game? Yeah. I think it's. I think. I think that's a good one. I think. I think it's good. It's a good point to round it out on because, you know, I did a. I did an idea pressure test on this the other day, and I looked at some of the most stable, um, business businesses that I know, like recurring revenue models, um, stuff like that. I looked at those kind of models where they're like maybe I've got, say, ten years of recurring revenue. They've been doing their thing. They've got memberships and podcasts, and they've built heaps of brand equity, and you know they've got heaps of leverage and a good lifestyle. And if they stopped doing that. Even if they may, they maybe only work 10 hours a week, right? Or 15 or 20, I don't know. But those kind of, I had to look at a few different people that were in that kind of realm. And I said, what if they stopped? 
It's the big question, isn't it? Yeah. What if they stopped? If they stopped doing the podcast and if they stopped coaching or if they stopped um, writing more ad copy or if they, what if they stopped, what would happen? And I think that's the big question that a lot of business owners need to start asking themselves. Boom. <laughs> I don't even want to say anything because I'm like, that is such a perfect end note. So uh, just amen, Goose. I dig that a lot. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Charlie, let's do this again. Let's, um, let's keep unpacking the uh, ideas and strategies and, and, and everything around property. And um, mate, let's, let's make a difference. Absolutely.